0: The New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio
1: New South Wales
2: Hello again and welcome to the Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket Coming up, wine grape growers in the Riverina are counting their losses ahead of vintage Some growers will not be able to harvest any crops due to rain and flooding
3: It's extremely dry here at the moment, which is really quite a bizarre situation to be in when you consider that we had multiple floods as far back as July, even into early August, we were still seeing some localised flooding in heavy downpours and we get trapped in if we get heavy rainfall.
2: And we'll hear from Graham Creed, a former weather forecaster. He's on the farm in Stroud in the Hunter Valley. We'll hear from him shortly on the program as well. But right now, talking about the weather, let's find out what's happening with the weather around the state at the moment. Aleka Jumar at the Bureau. Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon,
2: Michael. So those showers that we are talking about yesterday, thunderstorm activity and wild and woolly, has that moved through the state now or still a bit here and there?
0: Yeah, there still is a little bit here and there. We do have remnants of that trough uh, which made its way across uh, central and uh, southern parts yesterday, still lingering about the northeast. So we can still expect uh, the odd shower and uh, possible thunderstorm, particularly about the uh, northeast corner uh, this afternoon and evening. And some of those thunderstorms may become severe about the north coast uh, later today. So just keep an eye on uh, any warnings which may be issued. Um, But otherwise, we are seeing a fairly vigorous southerly flow uh, along coastal parts, which is bringing some shower activity, um, mainly to uh, east of the divide uh, at the moment. Um, West of the divide, we are seeing a... uh, dry and um, mostly sunny day today um, and those dry conditions are expected to persist uh, for the remainder of the week and uh, really into next week um, with generally cooler conditions uh, currently um, those cool conditions are expected to warm up uh, coming into the late weekend and early next week so uh, remaining dry inland um, and coastal showers for the next few days.
2: So dry inland and warming up it's still not particularly hot
0: yeah, not uh, not particularly hot over the next few days. Uh, as we head into early next week, uh, we will start to see those temperatures rise uh, to the uh, high 30s, maybe even dip into the low 40s um, uh, with the potential of a low intensity heat wave sort of conditions developing in the far west um, by early next week. Um, but certainly uh, it will be fairly short-lived um, as uh, we will see uh, remnants of the tropical cyclone, which is uh, crossing the WA uh, coast currently, that will make its way across uh, central Australia. And uh, as it weakens, uh, even though it is expected to weaken, we may still see um, some uh, remnants of that uh, in the second half of next week about the northern and central inland. Uh, so we will start to see a uh, return to some showery and... Uh, a bit stormy weather um, in the second half of next week over inland areas.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So that tropical cyclone LE, so it's uh, ex tropical cyclone Ellie, uh, is likely to impact on our weather. But uh, there was some fears it may be lots of rainfall, but it doesn't look like that now.
0: Well, yeah, currently, um, and the way that the system is tracking at the moment. Um, it is expected to weaken and it will probably weaken to a low pressure trough by the time it makes its way uh, closer to New South Wales. Um, So Queensland may still see uh, uh, some enhanced rainfall from this system um, mid next, early to mid next week um, but at this stage looks to stay mostly north of the border and uh, won't be affecting um, much of New South Wales except for the odd shower or thunderstorm
2: um, in the second half of next week. Because the last thing people probably want to see is you know hundreds of millimetres of rain from an ex-tropical cyclone coming through at this time of the year which does does happen every now and then in summer doesn't it?
0: Yeah it certainly does um, and uh, look um, it is um it is still a possibility over the next well for the rema- over the next couple of months. Um, we are just starting out in tropical cyclone season, um, but certainly uh, at least this system doesn't appear um, to affect New South Wales too much.
2: Okay, all right. Well, fingers crossed. Thanks for that, Alanka.
0: Thanks very much, Michael.
2: It's uh, coming up to a quarter to one here on the New South Wales country. Our wine grape growers in the Riverina they're counting their losses. Ahead of vintage, some growers will not be able to harvest any crops due to rain and flooding, while others are battling to keep any viable grapes healthy. Handwood grower Bruno Brumble is also the chairman of the Riverina Wine Grape Growers.
4: I'm glad to see nice weather appearing, but the damage has been done. Uh, Where the water laid around for weeks and weeks, a lot of those crops have been destroyed. A uh, lot of downy mills you got through it, and uh, they won't be harvesting those blocks. but uh, there is some reasonable blocks around still and we just hope the weather keeps going the way it is.
1: Is there any percentage or any talk of what people think they would have lost from their crop?
4: Look, there's farmers have lost the whole farm. Um, it's a bit hard to do percentage. We probably reckon about 35 to 40 50% in places. But some farms won't be harvesting at all. That's just... Uh, especially where they had flood water sitting there, they couldn't get in. But even if they got in... Um, there was a critical period in, in the grapes when they're flowering. They were protected till the flowering started. Once the flower opened up, that little berry coming out wasn't protected and we had three, four days of wet weather and a lot of them has been just wiped out.
1: And has that water cleared now?
4: Yeah, the water's cleared now. we uh, got nice dry weather, thank God for that. We don't want any showers and that, but uh, there's still damage in the grapes itself. Uh, the downy mildew is holding. But the next step now, there seems to be a bit of powdery moving around on some of the show though. So we're getting rid of one disease and we're going into another.
1: And is there much you can do about that at this stage of the season?
4: Yeah, no, and you can spray for powdery. Uh, you can control it. Um, you get uh, nice warm weather and sulphur will control it too. So we've got cool weather for the next day, so we're back to 30, 35, uh, which is uh, fantastic weather.
1: And when do you think vintage will kick off for a lot of growers?
4: I think we're about three weeks behind. Uh, usually by now we should see a raisin in reds and we see uh, whites uh, didn't start eating a few berries, but I just found out yesterday, a guy rang up yesterday saying that he's found a couple of berries and chardonnay just ripening. It's about three weeks late.
1: How's the situation for staffing and Labor looking for this season?
4: Yeah, well, with the, with the amount of loss we got in the wine industry and crops not been harvested, I think we'd be totally okay this year. Uh, I think the citrus growth probably be the worst off, but um, we sort of, uh, if we lose 20, 30, 40%, whatever it is, look, uh, there won't be much work for harvesters and there won't be that flat-out work we had like last year when we picked nearly 350,000 tonnes.
1: How's the price looking for grapes?
4: Uh, the price is pretty low uh, at this stage. There's only a couple of wines put-out prices at this stage, but the rest probably won't come out for another couple of weeks. Uh, when they come out, we'll probably have more to see what uh, really is the price and uh, we won't know for the next couple of weeks, I suppose. You know, some growers are hanging on OK, but look, depression seems to be probably the worst-case scenario out there where growers uh, have lost their crops and uh, they don't know what to do the next step.
1: And do you think this could lead to some people also exiting the industry completely?
4: I think it will. I think some people will probably temporary or, temporary or permanent sell their water. Um, High-security water is about $9,000 a meg, and uh, temporary is not worth much because the dams are full. But um, it'll turn around and uh, you know, if the drought comes in, we're going to be short of water anyway. So it's up to the grower, dude. but I think some growers will get out of the industry. And the trouble is, who's going to buy the grape farm at this stage with uh, no income coming in and price being so low?
2: It's Hanwood grower and Riverina Wine Grape Growers Chairman Bruno Brumble talking there to Cara Jeffrey. It's uh, coming up to 12 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket. Well, floodwaters are still pushing through inland parts of the East Coast, but many farmers in other parts of the country are fearing a sudden switch to drought conditions. The Bureau of Meteorology say going by what's happened previously, there's a 40% chance that if La Nina does recede in autumn, Australia could go straight back into an El Nino system. Uh, The last El Nino, of course, resulted in a record-breaking drought from 2017 to 2020. Graham Creed is one of those worried about the potential for another drought. He's growing flowers, three types of garlic and producing honey on his farm at Stroud in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales. The former ABC weather forecaster told David Claughton that it's extremely dry on his farm.
3: It's extremely dry here at the moment, which is really quite a bizarre situation to be in when you consider that we had multiple floods As far back as July, even into early August, we were still seeing some localised flooding in heavy downpours, and we get trapped in if we get heavy rainfall. We've got a floodway at the front gate, and because the ground was so wet, every time it rained, we were basically stuck in. Fortunately, I suppose it's a relatively small valley, so we were able to get out a couple of hours after the the rain stopped and the the levels dropped down.
5: So you had flooding just six months ago?
3: Uh, yeah, even less. You know, July, August, uh, even in September, we saw a couple of heavier falls at times, and because the ground was so wet, as soon as it rained, even five, ten millimetres was producing quite a lot of runoff. So the the creeks were in in full flow for most of that time. And so now things are really drying off. What have you noticed? Yeah. So once we once we hit the end of October, early November, the rain became a lot lighter and was not as over longer. A longer period. So we might get seven to 10 millimetres, but it was typically just in one shower in the afternoon instead of those sort of falls over multiple days. And then once we hit November, probably halfway through November, the rain pretty much stopped. So the, the November rainfall was well below average. And then in December, we've had about a quarter of our average rainfall for that month and so far in january around 1.5 millimetres which was in the early hours of this morning so it's been extremely dry and as a result everything's browned up so you know all the pastures are now turning brown a lot of cattle farmers in the area are starting to to feed their their cattle um and part of that's also due to being a, a coastal area and with all that heavy rainfall that we've had through the year what pasture there is, isn't really that nutritious at the moment. So that it's a, a bit of a double problem because it's drying off and it's not that nutritious, then the cattle need to eat that much more of it. But because it's dried off, it's not growing. So there's, you know, starting to see a, a lack of feed. And are people concerned about the prospect of, of El Nino and the uh, potentially another drought? Yeah, look, I, I suppose in the short term, they're concerned that, you know, this, the rain needs to come as soon as possible so that there can be some pasture growth as we move through the the remainder of summer. Also to try and reduce the bushfire potential, which in this area is pretty high because not a great deal of the hunter burnt in those bushfires over the last couple of years. And longer term, though, drought is a concern. And I think the, the last six weeks have reminded everyone of how quickly the conditions can turn. And if we see these dry conditions continue over the coming coming months, then you know we really are going to see things turn around very quickly. Most of the forecast models are suggesting that from May on, we are moving into a substantially drier period as far as all the, the models are going. They're pushing towards that El Niño phase, although it's a tricky time of year to be trying to pick that with any confidence. But in the short term, the La Niña, look, it's still in place and it, it is weakening. And even though it's weakening, it's still in a wetter phase. So, you know, for the remainder of January, perhaps into early February, there is still that potential of some quite wet conditions about. But I think unlike the last couple of years that we've had the the, uh, La Nina around, we're likely to see some areas really missing out, whereas other areas will still get torrential rainfall and flooding. So it's, I think the, the remainder of this summer and into autumn might be a lot more hit and miss than what we've seen over the last two years. And you're relatively new to farming. And so how, what have you done on your farm to kind of build resilience for those sorts of climactic or, or weather events? Look, I suppose the, the, the key thing we did after the 2019 drought was we built quite a large dam so that we could irrigate anything that we planted. So that that's held up really well. And fortunately for us, it was completed just before the rain started in 2020. So um, it's been full ever since, which is great for us. The other thing, I suppose, is that we're growing a lot of native plants so we don't need to do a huge amount of watering we're we're trying to grow plants that don't rely on high amounts of moisture so we don't have to be watering them every day you know perhaps once a week or every couple of weeks perhaps a little bit more frequently in really hot weather but generally you know most of them are going to survive on very limited input from us and so that's sort of how we've tried to uh, drought proof ourselves somewhat and are you happy with your decision to leave forecasting and the glory of the ABC and TV for, for farming? Yeah, look, I am. I love it. It's, you yeah, know, the environment's something that I've always been um, very keen on. Uh, I still keep my eye in on the weather, so uh, I get to do sort of everything that I was doing and um, a little bit more, particularly with the the farming side of it. Busy? Uh, very busy. <laughs> the list of chores gets longer and longer and, uh, yeah, Not not as many of them getting crossed off as I like, but I think that's just, uh, most farmers have that problem.
2: Former ABC weather forecaster, now farmer, Graham Creed and Graham texted us this morning to say that he got 33 millimetres of rain overnight. So he's feeling a bit relieved. And you can read more about that risk of El Nino uh, returning uh, possibly. uh, And there's some more details on our website at abc.net.au slash rural. It's uh, coming up to five minutes to one. You're
6: listening to The Country
2: Hour
1: on ABC Radio New South Wales.
2: Well, competitors in this weekend's Magic Millions show jumping event on the Gold Coast are vying for a slice of $1.45 million in prize money. The offering is up from $100,000 last year, so it makes it the richest show jumping event in Australia. Tina Quinn spoke to Equestrian Australia CEO Darren Guccia about what the cash boost means for the sport.
6: From our point of view, it's a fantastic opportunity for equestrian and for show jumping. I think there's you know, there's obviously some great Australian riders that are competing and coming back. I think it's a great opportunity for us to be able to showcase the sport. You know, fantastic to have the support of Matt Millions and Katie Page and Gerry Harvey, as well as Coolmore and Peaches Lodge and those guys.
0: Mm, especially the, the event's getting quite a large injection of cash this year. So $1.45 has been announced, up from 100000 last year. That's quite a massive jump in prize money. And what sort of effect do you anticipate this will have on participation?
6: The um, attraction of show jumping in Australia is getting, you know, there's obviously a, a lot more interest in the sport. So in terms of participation, we'll be able to attract some great, you know, the best Australian riders, as well as, you know, hopefully in the future, some international riders and really bring that, um, that exposure and that awareness to, to the sport here.
0: It's good prep for Queensland as well, ahead of the Brisbane Olympics in 2032.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a huge opportunity for Brisbane. There's going to be a number of events, hopefully, in the lead-up, and this is, this is one. And I think, um, you know, to have, for, have this up on the Gold Coast, again, a great opportunity for Queensland.
2: Darren Gooch, CEO of Equestrian Australia. Now, the Magic Millions show jumping event is on this Sunday at Doug Jenkins Park on the Gold Coast. It's uh, three minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour, which is uh, in the lunch break in the cricket. Well, uh, let's talk about Elvis now, one of my favourite topics. The 30th Parks Elvis Festival is back on in the New South Wales Central West and it's uh, generating money for a flood-affected town and inspiring one farmer to pull on his Elvis wig and play in the street. Colin McIlvray is a cattle farmer and Elvis tribute artist and he told Hamish Cole that he turned to the king of rock and roll's music to get him through a difficult period after a bad farm accident.
7: Just later in life in 2013 I had a angle grinder accident and we really took my arm off. And uh, prior to that I used to play guitar but never did Elvis with such, just dance music mainly. I was snooky because I couldn't play the guitar anymore and I I was actually um, I suppose went into depression I had my arm up or locked up in my shoulder for so long so my son, um, my stepson actually, JC um, helped me with the computer, get it going and then uh, between um, that and trying to learn the lyrics I got into Elvis. So he's just one I could, to actually try to learn but he's a heck of a voice and I had respiratory trouble and it's helped me really with that as well. So, and I just keep doing it and now I'm here so I uh, found a place where I can let it out if you like. So, that's where I am today. And as a result, what does Elvis mean to you? Wherever there is an Elvis, there's people. It's colourful. It's, it's a beauty. So, it means a lot, actually. It means everything to us. I mean, it's uh, spiritually, I suppose, you could say. It gets us out and about. And people are happy. People are smiling. Um, I think that's uh, a healing. It's good. It means everything. And coming from Forbes, after all the flooding that you guys have had, and it's just been shocking, really, what the community's gone through. To see so many smiling faces yesterday, that must be really nice. Absolutely, actually, yes. Um, and we've got some personal friends that we saw last night, um, and we went and sat around the table with them, and um, it was, they were, went into some sort of relief just to be able to hear if you, if you didn't know there was a flood. You probably couldn't tell by the garden area that where you were, it looked normal. And I think they were relieved to think, you know, they've come so far, probably in a month. I'd say it'd be about a month, now. and they've been fighting with everything. They have got issues. They've got lots of issues. But the whole surrounds now and the people are uh, coming back smiley faces. So it's tremendous. It's wonderful spirit. And hopefully um, here, Uh, The amount of people that's here, I've been here in other years, this year's a bigger bus. Yeah, so um, it's getting better and better. And um, that's what we need. We all need. And you'll get it in music. And Elvis will do it. Yeah, so um, if anybody can, he will.
2: Well, that's uh, cattle farmer and Elvis tribute artist Colin McGilvray speaking there with Hamish Cole. And uh, the Elvis Festival brings in $15 million for the parks economy annually with uh, record attendance of 30,000 people expected. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket. And uh, it's time to go to markets now. and uh first up let's go to Yas cattle and uh i'm in the studio here by myself so i didn't get a chance to uh edit this so uh it's uh, the raw audio from uh from graham richard
5: the ass yes cattle sale. Three, two, one. Good afternoon. The first sale of 2023 penned 152 mixed quality cattle. There are around 40 weaners, 50 cows, and growing heifers, and a few yearling bulls. A small run of yearling steers and heifers. Not all the usual buyers operated, and the market sold to a softer trend with competition and quality factors. The few weaner steers, 500 to 519. Heifers similar weight, 380 to 479. Yielding steers up to 400 kgs to process, 440 to 480. Similar weight heifers, 342 to 420. Light two-tooth heifers to feed on reached 380. Heavy weights to process, 328 to 340. Cows were much cheaper. Most of the medium weights, 200 to 245. Heavy 4 and 5 score cows, 240 to a top of 290 for a run of cows. And this has been Graham Richard.
2: And uh, so far that's the only market we've uh, got in as yet Now we uh, before we head back to the cricket uh, Let's hear about a pilot study That's uh, investigating uh, how uh, the uh, livestock owners can safely evacuate herds during natural disasters such as floods and bushfires and uh, it's recommended that a Memorandum of Understanding be uh, set up uh, in place for each local government area in New South Wales to identify evacuation sites for animals and if infrastructure is in need of replacement or repair. Dr uh, Dr. Ula Ula Debert Bede is a uh, senior fellow, senior teaching fellow at Bond University in the uh, sc- uh, College of Society and Design, and says an evacuation plan for animals should be included in every emergency management plan.
8: We realise that um, most local councils have identified areas for human evacuation during. Any form of disasters like flooding, bushfire, storm, and the like. But uh, with that, we also discovered that why uh, most local councils have human evacuation centers. Rarely do we have anything like animal evacuation centers, because most times, the uh, during disasters, humans will want to go to the evacuation centers with their animals, and this is only for pet owners not for someone who has about 200 cows 200 cows how they do that so as a result of that we thought oh i think it's better for us to look into how livestock farmers will be able to evacuate animals during a disaster not just pet owners so and also you know based on that we also found out find out that um evacuation usually whether it is planned or unplanned can actually be a little bit complicated sometimes and now we're looking at an evacuation that has not been planned how are you going to survive it with 200 300 400 calories, towels
2: they said to dr uh alabode Oganma kinde And he's from Bond University talking about an evacuation plan. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour. It's time to go back to the cricket and uh, continue Australia's success with uh, Usman Khawaja over the 100 mark once again at the SCG.